Thank you, thank you. Well, hello, everyone. Morning. If you are, um, if you're new to the church, my name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are looking at the book in the Bible called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Been in it a couple of months, and we'll be in it for a couple more months. We really want to dig into this. Um, as you're probably up to speed by now, if you've been around for the last few weeks. You, you would have heard us talk about it. It's an unusual book in the Bible in the sense that God isn't mentioned explicitly once. Um, it's a small book. It's essentially a, a collection of um, love poems between a man and a woman, and it explores the beauty and the wonder of romantic love. Um, so why is it in the Bible? Um, well, because God created uh, romantic love, number one. It's a good thing. It's a holy thing. There's nothing wrong with it at all. There's nothing unclean about it. It's beautiful, um, set within... Uh, the confines of marital covenant. And, um, but not only that, it has been understood um, both by the sort of Jewish scholars, past and present, and also Christian scholars since the time of Christ, that this book is talking about more than just a man and a woman, but it's talking about, um, dare I say it, the relationship between the Lord and his people. That actually the Lord has chosen to take the example of romantic love, um, passionate at times, um, a surprisingly uh, passionate and intimate love between a man and a woman. And then the Lord is really happy to use this as a signpost towards um, the eternal relationship between him and his people. And that's what we've been doing. So we've probably been talking every now and then a bit about um, romantic love from a natural perspective. But we've probably, it's tilted towards, we're focusing on um, the allegorical element about the love between the Lord and his people. Um, so that's what we're doing. And um, we are up to chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 2 to 16. Uh, the scriptures will come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. If you do have a Bible with you, it's definitely worth you following it in, in, in your own Bible. Just to, It's good to get familiar with what's where. It's a big book. It's made up of 66 books. So to get familiar with what's where, it's just a little brick in the wall of getting more and more used to Handling your Bible and, and, and being in it. So um, why, don't we, why don't we read this together? Are you up for that? Yeah, yeah let's read the word of God together. So we're going to go up here, verse 2 through to the end. Here we go. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garments. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved. But my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am sick with love. What is your beloved more than another beloved? O most beautiful among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? My beloved is radiant and ruddy. 
distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns, set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Father, thank you for your word in all its poetic beauty and glory. We want to do your word justice today, Lord. Thank you that your word is living and active, gets right to the heart of us. We pray, Lord, that you would get to the heart of us through your word today. I pray for myself that you'd help me to speak well. And with Holy Spirit liberty, I pray for those listening that you'd help them to hear well. And I pray that together through this we would meet with you freshly. Amen. Amen. So we've been on a bit of a journey with this couple. Uh, and we've Christ in the church, if you like. We've been on a bit of a journey. We've, been, we've, we've seen celebration, uh, passion, a moment of a, a bit of an up, an up and a down moment. Um, we've, we've, we've even uh, had a little window into their kind of, uh, into their, uh, into their intimacy um, a few weeks back. And um, we really are, we're really being let in on, on, on how this thing works. Now, at this point in the story, we, 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 we get a window on quite a sort of unusual or strange thing that happens whereby um, she is, um, obviously this is a highly suggestive passage. Even if you're to read it in, in, from like an earthly, just romantic perspective, the language is not crass or coarse or uh, just unhelpful. It's even in there, it's just very, very suggestive. This, this could be taken... Um, um, any number of ways, even on uh, reading of a of an, of an uh, romantic, earthly um, relationship. But what's going on essentially is this, in the, for the first half of this chapter. Um, there is an attempt on his part for intimacy with her, and she can't be bothered. It's essentially what goes on. I'm sure you would have noticed that what ha- that's what happens there. We don't know quite what happens. It is open to interpretation. It could be that actually that it's talking literally about him wanting to uh, enter her bedroom or it could be actually talking about him wanting to enter her. And so you could take it either ways and, and you, it, could be, it could be that he never quite, you know, that, that he never quite makes it actually into her bedroom with her or it could be that they never quite come together in intimacy. You can take it either way if you read um, the passage there. We don't quite know what happens. It could be that her initial lack of interest somehow got into him, and he sort of buckles under it, under the sense of rejection, or that they do come together, but it, somehow it ends in disappointment and distance. And I want us to, we will spend the vast majority of our time this morning on an allegorical Christ in the church perspective, but I do want to just say um, one thing here um, uh, to married couples. I'm going to read from the, this brilliant commentary that we've been using as preachers, just this little passage where he says this. He says, um, is the whole passage a dream sequence, perhaps? If not, what are we to make of this 
missing of each other. For two people who in the previous chapter seem to have found perfect completion together. Is the woman downplaying her reticence here? Is she the one wavering and unable to make up her mind? Is it not that she doesn't want him to come in, but initially her desire is not enough for her to get up and go to the door? She doesn't want to put the effort in to get dressed to let him in and realises too late what her hesitation costs her and how it hurt him, hence the frantic pursuit. Or is it that the man who somehow gets his timing wrong, is he vulnerable, is he too sensitive, departing before he need, lest he be confirmed in his fear of rejection? Is he simply too insistent and impatient? In the whole passage, is the whole passage in fact to do with the act of love itself? with its erotic references to hands and fingers dripping with liquid myrrh, but forced to acknowledge dysfunction and disappointment. The fact is that all the above can be read into this brief poem, describing sudden failure in the midst of something that had been such a success. Such truly describes the dance of sexual intimacy and the differences between men and women. So just a quick comment first before we get into Christ and the church. Just very, very quickly, uh, a comment to to married couples, um, husbands and wives. You have to look after one another in the matter of sexual intimacy. We have to be very, very careful with and look after one another. Because whenever you, in a a marital relationship, um, make yourself uh, open to someone or or vulnerable to someone or you you express your desire to be with them in that way, then your guard is completely down at that point. That person is right up underneath your armour and you are highly vulnerable and so I just want to say in this regard to married couples that when it comes to the subject of being together physically and just the dynamics around that look after each other and sometimes there's things that go on in life that you know just make it a bit tricky it could be a season of life crazy business shift patterns health but but at the end of the day we know life's complicated look after one another <laughs> be, be gentle with one another take care of one another it's ever so important that we don't accidentally run roughshod over one another. It's ever so important. Um, So I just wanted to say that before we get into um, the meat of this allegorically. Allegorically, Christ comes close by his spirit. Jesus loves to meet with his church. Jesus loves to draw his church closer and closer into relationship with him. You see, if maybe you're here and you're not familiar with this Christian thing, you don't really know how it works. Let me just lay it out really clearly for you at the beginning. This, the, being a Christian is not a, about something out there, some external thing that goes on and you, you go to a building and you do something or, or somehow there's some rules and they're out there and you, you have to try and do them. And if you do, God is pleased. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is this mysterious uh, hard to plumb spiritual reality that God has come near to us in his son Jesus and has made a way not just for us to be forgiven but to be made brand new whereby the things that he loves get written onto our heart. He gives us a brand new heart by the Holy Spirit so that we can enjoy close relationship with him. That's how it works. And so Christ loves to come near to his church by the Holy Spirit and draw us into deeper and deeper relationship with him. He wants us deeper, closer, nearer. And yet very often we can't be bothered. We can't be bothered. She says, to, she says I've, I've just washed my feet. <laughs> I've just washed them. If I have to come open the door, my feet are going to get all dirty. It's going to be a bit messy. Letting you in could become a bit messy. Yes, 
Letting Jesus into your life can be a bit messy, folks. Because it's not all neat and tidy and sorted out. It's not, this isn't how it works. I'll just sort my life out, then, I'll, then maybe I'll get to know Jesus. It's just not how it works because you can't sort your life out. You can't know Jesus as you are and you say, Lord, it's a bit of a pickle. Yeah, there's a lot of things need sorting out. But I, I just, as we sang, and I want you to be my Lord. I'm happy to do things your way. Will you come in? And he'll say, yes. But sometimes you think, God, you know, do you know what, Lord? Could, could, could get a bit, it could be a bit of grit and gravel. You know, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a oh, I'm not going to go there. Or it could just be inconvenient. She's like, I've taken my clothes off. I'm in bed, I'm all snug, a lovely warm patch, the perfect shape of my body. I don't want to get out, put my clothes on again. Oh, it's inconvenient. Sometimes it's like that with Jesus. He draws near by his spirit. Can we have some time together now? Oh, Lord. Actually, the day's about to start. And you realise. Or your equivalent, whatever you're passionate about. You know, you think it can be inconvenient. This is the reality of what it is. And you know what, in that moment, what we can do, we can say, do you know what, Lord? Actually, it's just too much, too inconvenient. It's too messy or takes too much effort. And we can grieve or quench the spirit. We can. The Bible says, don't quench the spirit. It says, don't put out the spirit's fire. That when the spirit comes and lives inside of you, you know, there's that fire that you be the fire of God, a holy, divine fire. You can quench it. You can, you can just pour water on it. Or, or you can grieve the spirit. That's a different kind of imagery, but it's about the same thing. It's essentially that he lives in you by his spirit. And you can get into stuff that he's like, oh, I, I, this isn't me. You can be into dark stuff, but he's light. He's like, well, I'm not going there. I can't go there. It's dark. And, you know, you can, you can grieve him. You can quench him. And, and it can create this sense of, oh, he's gone. You can create this sense of where is he? The closeness that I once knew with him has gone. This can happen in the Christian life. Or it can be damn right rebellion. I'll just say that. As I was preparing, I felt the Holy Spirit just give me a nudge on this. That in our, in our part of the world, rebellion is celebrated. To be a rebel is cool. You know, to, to, to not submit to authority and to be a rebel. That kind of like, yeah. Especially a rebel without a cause. I don't even know why. I'm just rebellious. Like, wow, you're amazing. Actually, do you know what? It's really pretty lame. It just shows that you don't understand what, 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 what genuinely what authority is about. His authority is in our life to protect us, not to punish us. His authority is in our life to protect us. It's a good thing. And so this sort of celebration of rebellion thing, it's really, it's so 1990s, guys. We, we've got to, got to dro- drop it. It's not good. You know, it, but because it, it could, it's, it's the, we're made, we are made to be in relationship with him where his lordship sets us free. And his lordship, we can work out who we really are in the context of submission to him. Because he knows who we are, because he made us. And we haven't got to fall into this horrible trap of self-definition, constantly trying to define ourselves and self-realize and self-actualize. It's such a drama, and there's no need for it. He made us. He knows who we are. If we will just trust him, he will produce a version of us that is 100 times better than any self-actualization you could ever do. He knows who we are. He knows the ins and the outs of everything. His knowledge is perfect. We'll we'll get on to that later. But please, let us trust him. 
It says in the Bible, Jesus says, I'll stand at the door and knock. Speaking to believers, interestingly, to the church in Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and feast with him and him with me. It's the same picture we see in Song of Solomon. I'm at the door. Will you open it? Will we open it? There is something of a sensitivity about him. Not in a kind of oversensitive way, but the condition of our heart. The Bible, in Ephesians, it talks about the Lord dwelling in our heart through faith. And the idea in the words is that somehow it's a pleasure for the Lord to dwell in our hearts. That it's not a chore. It's not tiresome. But that because we love him and honour him, that there's just this harmony in this walk with him. He loves this. He really loves this. And in this situation, she's, she's, she's blown it a bit. It's a fascinating, uh, in verse, um, she says in verse 4, this is fascinating. She says, my soul failed me when he spoke. So we see that, what do you mean? My soul failed, what's she, what's she saying? Well, what did he say? Back up to verse 2, he says, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, full of affirmation. Remember that last week? Full of affirmation. You can open to me because as far as I'm concerned, you're flawless. So open to me, my dove, right? And uh, is that my phone? <laughs> no, few. Um, my perfect one. He says these things. She says, my soul failed when he spoke. My, and what's, what's she saying there? What she's saying there is this. It's a very important thing. She says, essentially, I've let myself down. When he, when he wanted to know me better, when he, I've been seeking him, when he actually said, I'm near, draw, she said, I blew it. And have you ever know that feeling? You think, I blew it, you know? I thought I wanted to know the Lord better, and then he asked me to do that little one thing, and I couldn't be bothered. And you think, oh, he asked me to do that, and my soul failed me when he, my soul failed, um, my soul failed me when he spoke. I let myself down. I wasn't, I wasn't who I thought I was. I didn't want him as much as I thought I wanted. She's living in that awareness, that reality. I'm not what I hoped I would be. Do you know that feeling? <laughs> it's a very familiar feeling for me. I'm not, I'm not what I hoped I would be. I thought in that situation I would do that, and I didn't. I thought for the Lord I would say that, and I went quiet. You know that thing you think, oh, my soul failed me. I, Lord, I didn't respond to your invitation as I, as I hoped, and, and out of it, she says, I, I need to find him again. She says, I need to go on this pursuit because I've realized this sense of, I've now realized how much I treasure his closeness and I want to find him again. And so she goes about, and there's this, it is a bit mysterious, to be honest with you. She recognizes that she's lost something. So she goes on this pursuit, and there's this sense of loss. It's not like it was. She's still the beloved, he's still the lover, but there's something, ah, his sense of his now near presence, it's, ah, it's a bit like, I've lost, I don't know where I lost, and sometimes when you, when you meet with people pastorally or to help people, they say, I've lost something, and you try and work out, where did you lose it? You know, if you lose your keys, what's the question you ask? Where did I have them last? It's such an obvious question, but you can never think of it. Where, it's like, and you try and help people, where, where did you last know his presence? Where did you last feel close to him? What happened? Was it a decision you made? And you just think, oh, yeah, I basically said, Lord, I don't care anymore. I'm going to do that. Yeah. So you go back and say, Lord, just forgive me of that. Because the Bible says that when we just walk in the light, which basically, walking in the light isn't some great, I'm really spiritual, I'm walking in the light. Walking in the light means you're just honest with God. It just means, Lord, you know what? My bad. 
I was wrong there. Because the Bible says when we do that, he forgives and cleanses us. And things are restored. You see? So there's this sense in which she's saying, it's like, oh, mate, where did you lose your keys? She's, she's trying to find him. She's running around. And she comes to the watchman. And the watchman, they were all right last time, was the watchman now. Now, they beat her. They beat her. They bruise her. They took away her veil. They take away her dignity. They beat her. Now, this is mysterious. And to be honest with you, a lot of the time, the commentators have scratched their head at this point. What does this mean? Um, whereas it seems up to this point that they sort of represent in some way sort of authority or represent in some way even sort of leadership. And I think it's a fascinating thing that, you know, when you're in a season like this, the mystics call it the dark night of the soul. Yeah. You're just like, oh, God, where have you gone? When you're in a season like that, sometimes Christian leaders make matters worse. I'll say that again. Sometimes when you're in seasons like that, Christian books, preachers, they make it worse. Someone says, oh, have this book. This will help you. You go, oh, great. And you really think, this is awful. It's actually now worse as a result of reading this book. And now I've got to give it back to them and tell them that. I don't know how I'm going to do that. So I put it on my shelf and pretend it didn't happen. And maybe they'll never ask me. Just think he's made it worse. Because all you, or either because it's just condemning. It just tells you what you already know. You think, well, yeah, I know, I know this. It doesn't help me at all. You just told me how bad I am. I know. You know, or, or something else. Or, or it says, this is why. When this you experience this, this is always why. It's like some sort of scientific formula. That's not what it's like being a person. It's not as straightforward as that, you see? And so people can be formulaic. And sometimes, it, sometimes you want to meet with someone pastorally because you're going through a dark night of the soul. And all they can do is give you upbeat scriptures. And you think, stop. Just stop. I know them. And I believe them. But now's not the time for them. The Bible says a word in season is like an apple of gold in a setting of silver. You can't just quote scripture indiscriminately. It's out of order. <gasps> See, sometimes you can get beaten and bruised even being around the people of God when you're going through a season like that. And no one means it. No one's trying to do it. It's just the church isn't perfect. I mean, you always advise people very, very carefully, if you do find a perfect church, that you must not join it by any means because you will ruin it. Okay? <laughs> Sorry, it was meant to be funny. It didn't really work. But uh, there is no perfect church. But if Jesus can look at us and say we're flawless, then maybe we can look at one another and say, you know what, you're all right. You know what, you're okay. And you just, you tried your best. (laughs) And it wasn't the most helpful thing you just said, but you tried your best. Your heart was for me. That's being gracious with one another, isn't it? We've got to to allow that. And, you know, we won't always, always get it right. But we, we, can, we, we can grow in that as we trust the Lord. But sometimes there can be these unhelpful things that go on. The reality is when you're going through a dark night of the soul, it is easily misunderstood, isn't it? You know, you can, if you're not in it, you, you can jump to conclusions. Oh, yeah, I had one of those too. I had a dark night of the soul too. Therefore, I know exactly why it's happened and exactly how to fix you. Mm, probably not. Probably not. It's probably not what's going on. But you probably can. You probably can just go, man, I had something that felt a bit like that. It's rough. Sometimes you've just made that person's day. You can say something like, Habadiah, chapter 2 at the end, if it makes you feel more spiritual, you know. But to just say, it's rough. 
<laughs> There's no such book as have a diet, it's a joke. But he is, he's, I know, oh, it's tough. Job's friends. Remember Job's friends? They were, they were absolutely wonderful, weren't they? Until the first week, great friends. They just sat there and sort of cried. Brilliant. Then they started talking. And it went badly wrong from there. But you read what they say. It's all about God. It's all about the Lord. But it's all wrong. It's all wrong. See, we've got to increasingly get the Lord to help us to grow in these things. Because sometimes stuff goes on and no one knows the heck why. You just go, do you know what? But I'm here. I'm here. And, you know, very often, even like in marriage sometimes, you know, like, you know, men sort of, for the first few years, I realized that Davina just had this built-in thing where I don't know who taught her it. Someone at some point had taught her that a husband should know what's wrong without any communication at all. He should just simply know what the matter is and what the solution is. And it's so daunting. After a few years, I thought, hmm, okay, something's wrong here, but I don't know what it is, and somehow that's making her quite angry. So... And then I realized, ah, there's this inbuilt supposition, but I have no idea. And so I was thinking, well, I should know, so I'll have a stab. And then it'll make it worse, because invariably it's wrong. So what I do now, so it's a great strategy, I just say things like this. I can see that you're a bit sad, and I really want to help. Would it help you at the moment for me to give you a cuddle or give you some space? So I just like to do sort of a multiple choice test. It's actually brilliant. <laughs> wonderful just these questions she's now grown into graciousness and humility to be able to say to circle a or b it's fine she, she won't be angry so great i can do that okay see you in a few minutes enjoy cooking or whatever you're doing or it's great yeah so the point is we often don't know how to help each other um and the worst thing you can do is assume you do know but sometimes you just say i really want i just really want to support you right now is there any what would be most helpful in friendships, fellowship, running partners, marriage, what would be most helpful? And then a person can say, and then you know you can then do your best to serve them. Does that make sense? But it's important that we that we that we learn these things. So, so here we go. So then we're gonna right here we go. Gosh, right. So then she goes to her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, and there's something about their tone, I think, where they've seen he's gone, and there's a bit of I don't know what you might call I don't know what you might call it a bit of female cynicism, maybe you know. So, because previously they really they think he's great, but now they say, "Well, what is what is what is your beloved more than another beloved?" Yeah, what? That's, 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 it's like they've been around for the celebration, the heights of passion, and now he's gone. He's done a runner, and um, she's distraught. So maybe they're sort of saying, you know, well, maybe he wasn't that special. Maybe he wasn't so special. Typical guy. Typical guy. We've got to make sure that again we're kind to one another. We're all a bit, I'm a typical guy, if you're a lady or a typical lady, we're all a bit broken and funny, aren't we? None of us are going to get it right all the time. We've got to be, we've got to be kind to each other. That's what it says in the Bible, if some of you, someone's caught in sin, someone spiritual, that means mature, should come and help restore them in a spirit of gentleness. You know, when you're in a bit of trouble, what you need is gentleness, don't you? The last thing you need is someone coming in and, it's so important, so, so important. So it's really important that we just, that we're, the Bible says that love believes the best. You know, that you say, I'm going to believe the best in this situation. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get like that. So, but it's, it's a wonderful thing that's happened. In her, in her sense of, oh, I've lost my beloved. In her sense of, oh, 
I've blown it and all of that. They then say to her, what's so special about him anyway? Well, then she goes, it's like, wow, this song comes out. She goes, oh, and this is because I think there's three times in the book you'll find him talking in this way about, about her. But then there's this one moment in the book where she just waxes lyrical about him. And you think, oh, my goodness, something is there's a depth to your affection and praise of him now that may not have been there if that hadn't had happened. And you start to think of Kate's song. He makes all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So even when we blow it and get it wrong and make mistakes, somehow as we, that, that something in us goes, oh, what have I done? And it's like a tree that suddenly feels parched of water. And what it does then, of course, it, it pushes the roots down further, right? Further into the soil and so that it might find the water. And as a result, it becomes a bigger, stronger tree. And that's what happens. You go, oh, what have I done? Oh, Lord. And you, you, something in you, you think nothing can replace what I've tasted of him. You know because you know because you know. Sometimes people think Christians are arrogant because they, they won't kind of um, they won't entertain the idea that, that, that there can be other gods and other lords. But the simple fact is this. Once you've tasted him, it's just you'd be lying to yourself and everyone you knew if you said there were. You just wouldn't be being honest because once you've tasted and known the Lord, he is the I am. He, you've, you've touched the only creator. You've, you've tasted. He has come into your soul by his very presence. What can you do except be honest about it and say, I've tasted and seen the Lord is good. That nothing, this is life. His love is better than life. His love is better than wine. His love is better than anything else on offer. This is it. And it's, it, that's, it's not arrogance. It's simple honesty. And so, and so she goes, this is what it's like. I'm going to just go through a few things that she says about him and then we all go isn't Jesus amazing that's the response you see she could have got offended she could say oh blow blow that then couldn't she oh blow that Jesus said blessed are those who don't stumble over me he is he is a stumbling stone of offense okay there are ways about Jesus that can make you stumble think I can't do this anymore There are ways about him. It's not any fault in him at all, but his ways are higher than our ways. And so the way he operates sometimes, his timing, his way, the way things work, you can can stumble, you can fall on your face. And Jesus said, blessed are those who don't. But there can be the temptation. She could just go, well, do you know what? Maybe he's oversensitive. Maybe he's gone, I'll go. Instead, she says, no, 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 no. I was at fault. And there's something about owning our own sinfulness, rebellion, brokenness, whatever it is, you have to, I have to own this. He is altogether perfect. That's what it is, folks. Listen to what she says. Number one, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. I've already touched on that. There's no one like him. End of story. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. I love this. His head is the finest gold. Maybe this speaks of leadership made perfect through suffering. The finest gold. There is a leadership that he brings. You know what? Do you know what? I, and, I, and it's imperfect and I'm stumbling and all of that, right? So I'm, this isn't a boast about me, but there's something about me. I just, I want to be under the headship of Christ. I, I don't want to be outside of the headship of Christ. I, at, being outside of his headship is not freedom. Being under him is freedom 
and life. Autonomy is death. Connection to him is life. I tell you, it is. I tell you, it is. And his leadership is glorious. He knows. He's touched with our weakness. He's touched with our suffering. He understands. He's been there, tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. He gets it. He gets it. You can follow this one. You can follow this one. His authority is liberating. And if you're in a room and you've never bowed the knee, you've never said, Jesus, I want to be under your headship, I tell you, it will be the wisest thing you ever do and you will never, ever regret it. I'm not saying that life will always be smooth and easy and straightforward, but you will never regret it. Laying yourself down at the feet of Christ because his love in your soul is irreplaceable. This is leadership refined through suffering. You can follow someone like that because they get it and they get you. And they're kind and sympathetic and patient and gentle. This is Jesus. It's what his leadership is like. And then his eyes, this, this wonderful description of his eyes. What's going on here? This eyes is about knowledge, this perfect knowledge, this sensitive wisdom. You know what? You are never overlooked by Jesus. Never. His eyes speak of his perfect knowledge, his omniscience, that he knows all things. His omniscience keeps us from two things. It keeps us from fear because I'm never, I, I'm always under his gaze, right? I'm always under his gaze. So it's like, I don't know, it brings such security to me. It's like, because even when I get it wrong, it's like, well, Lord, I did get it wrong. But you knew that my heart there was to get it right. Do you know what I mean? It's like you, you, see, you see right in. And in all of the perfection around our lives, you say, Lord, you see that my heart is to serve you. And I'm stumbling through and I'm not, it's not perfect. But, and it keeps me from that horrible fear that he doesn't really know me. He knows me perfectly. He knows you perfectly. He knows you better than you know yourself. He understands you. What a king. What a savior. But it keeps us from sin. Because when no one's looking, he is. And character is who you are when no one's looking. Who are you when no one's looking? When you know the presence of God in your life, looking at you when no one else is looking, I tell you, it purifies your life. Not in a slavish way, in a liberating way. You think, this is, a, this is wonderful, Lord, because I haven't got to be one thing there and one thing there. It can be who I am the whole time. Beautiful. Then his cheeks. Now, many will say that the whole thing of cheeks speaks of emotion. And um, I want to say something on this, because I, I, Charlie cleverly says something. And when I, when I read it, I thought, yes. He, said, he says in the book, he says, I think people often think that the Lord only has two emotions. Happy when we're doing well and angry when we're not. And I think it's such, a te- you think it's such an awful, you'd never say that about anyone, would you? But I think, think about it for a minute. I think, I think that's how people think about the Lord. Who created emotions in all their complexity, in all their multi-varied technicolor wonder? He did. I think we need to actually honour the fact that he, 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 the richness of his emotional life is like fragrant ointment. He, it, we're just a reflection, a dim reflection of him. He is the source of all personality. He is the source of all multi-textured, multi-layered beauty and glory. And the more we understand that and let that build into our heart, the more of a rich relationship we have with him. He understands humor. He made it up. <laughs> okay? He gets it. He gets nuance. Okay? He gets it. He understands it. He understands embarrassment, shame, excitement, 
anticipation. He understands these things. He knows what it feels like. Wow, what a saviour. What a king. His lips. You know, Jesus' words are read more, quoted more, translated more, and believed more than any other human that has ever lived. Now, if there's, I mean, even that, folks, that is stunning. You are, you, you are, if you're a believer, you are following someone whose words are more read, more quoted, more believed, and more translated than anyone else's. And that's just a fact. If you're not believing in Jesus, you need a really good reason why. If you are not believing Christ, you need a really solid reason as to why you're not. Because this man, without a shadow of a doubt, has impacted the planet more than anyone who has ever lived. So you, what you can't do is dismiss him. You just, you just do not have the permission to dismiss him. You have to reckon with him. Oh, his lips, his lips. Lilies dripping liquid myrrh. The words, read the words of Jesus. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Believers, read the Bible. (gasps) Please. (gasps) These are the words that bring life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. Arms, his mighty deeds. She says of his arms, they're rods of gold set with jewels. His mighty Mighty deeds, creation, upholding creation, but perhaps more than anything else, stretched out on the cross. The arms that made all things, these mighty rods of gold, nailed to a cross so that we could be forgiven and made brand new. This is the story. This is the wonder. This is the message. This is the good news. This is where the power of God is released for humanity at the cross. As he, gives him, as he submits to the power of death, who is a far lesser power than him, but he submits so that he might win us back and make a way and atone for our sin. What a saviour. His body, or actually the word there, bowels. His bowels are polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. This whole thing of the bowels, it's basically the word used in the Bible. It's talking about compassion and mercy. He is stuffed with compassion and mercy for us. Hallelujah. He cares. This Jesus cares for us. And then his legs Alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His purposes and direction are solid. He is never surprised by what goes on. He is utterly sovereign. He is never surprised. He is the end. He knows the end from the beginning. He deals with us in space in space and time, but he is outside of space and time because it's all part of creation. He is over it. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's about. He's working out his purposes. He is not caught off guard or surprised by anything. His purposes will remain. His purpose is over creation. His purpose is for the church. His purpose is for you as an individual. He will work it out because he cannot be stopped. He is omnipotent. He has all power. And then we end with this, back to his mouth. His mouth is most sweet. And he's altogether desirable. He loves to kiss us with his presence and with his nearness. And he draws our heart out to the point where we say, this is my beloved and this is my friend. Wow. That this, I mean, the humility of God, that he would want to draw us into friendship with him, the humility of it. May our hearts never grow cold as we read this. May we never get used to it in a kind of a complacent way. May we never just think, well, that's pretty normal. Let's tell you what, it's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary that we would know him 
and have a relation like that, a relationship like that with him. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. He's completely unique. He is completely outstanding among 10,000. And it's a chance for us this next 15 minutes or whatever just to renew our affection for him, just to allow the words of truth to sink into our soul and say, yeah, of course. What was I thinking? Maybe for some of you, you are in a bit of a dark night of the soul and you just need the Lord to just assure you and maybe he has assured and comforted you through this sermon. He will bring it around for good. Just let him. Just let him. Let him do what he does. Why don't we stand together? If the musicians could um, come, we're going to respond. We're going to take the bread and take the wine together. I want us to expect the presence of God to move in power as we do so. That we are to in some mysterious way, participate in Jesus freshly as we take the bread and the wine. If you don't know the Lord, if you're, if you've, then just probably, it's probably not the time for you to take bread and wine, but it's a time for you to think through, do I want to make Jesus my Lord? Is today the day? And if it is, then do not hesitate. Do not hesitate. If you're a believer, then we just say, please take the bread and the wine in a worthy way, which basically means this, to respect the body of Christ. Respect the fact that we are part of a body. So if you're out of a relationship with someone or you know you need to just forgive someone or reconcile, please attend to that as a priority. Please don't take the bread and the wine just in a careless way. This is a, this is a, there's a spiritual reality to what goes on here. And also let's just honour the Lord as we take it and pray, for, pray to him and bless him as we go in our friendship groups and in uh, running partners, however we choose to do it let's not rush let's linger in his presence while the songs are singing and while we're singing also i mean i'm going to just pray lord thank you for your presence you are amazing you are stunning you are glorious you are beautiful um and we don't know the half of it lord we don't know the half of it and you know lord we're often a bit slow on the uptake and we're often a bit um we're learning. We're just children. We're learning. We're learning. But we want to mature and grow in you, Lord. And we want to grow to a place of real close walk with you and friendship with you. We thank you for your readily available presence to us. I pray that we make the most of your nearness. And being in your presence with one another. In Jesus' name. Amen.